You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. How are y'all doing this morning? Don't sound fully caffeinated yet. That's all right. Catch up with me later on in the service. Hey, it's uh, it's so great to be with you. Uh, I have had the honor of having somewhat of a uh, bleacher seat to watch Stonegate over the past few years. We've been friends with the uh, Hobbs family for a few years. Uh, my wife actually uh, interned and worked in the youth ministry a few years ago with them, and so uh, I got to know Rodney a little bit. And um, Rodney, I have an apology to make from the very beginning. The very first time I ever heard Rodney preach, uh, I did not pay attention to a single word. Uh, I was staring at my soon-to-be bride, and uh, Rodney was talking about some vows and rings and marriage stuff, and he was performing our ceremony, and I was just kind of in awe of my beautiful wife there. So from then on, I've really I've listened to you well, and I have everything you've ever said has soaked in. Uh, so they've been just an incredible friend to uh, my family and I, and uh, it's really exciting for us in this new season as we walk out and plant a church in Midland, and it's an honor to be loved and supported and uh, sent and prayed for by Stonegate. So on behalf of the Hatch family. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, And I'm excited to be able to open the word with you today. So hopefully you're already in Isaiah. Uh, If you came in the last few minutes, we're going to be in Isaiah this morning. Uh, Isaiah chapter 6. It's right almost in the middle of your Bible. If you're new to the Bible, uh, feel free to use the table of contents. Get there. Isaiah chapter 6. The reason I chose Uh, This passage is because it has had a huge uh, effect on me uh, these last few months. This has been one of the reasons that we have been propelled, I think, into planting a church. And as we read a few minutes ago in this text, at the end of this picture, this incredible moment of what Isaiah saw, he was drawn to this place where he had this, this response or this remark that is the goal of every pastor and every preacher. Anytime we open our mouths, if we could lead the people of God to say what Isaiah said, that's a win. If every single one of us at the end of today put ourselves in the place where we said, here am I, send me, that's the goal of every preacher on the planet today. When they preach the word of God, we want God's spirit to stir up the word of God and the people of God so that we all become very available to God. Amen? So that's kind of it had its work in me. Uh, this, uh, this text has really changed uh, my life and the, what we hold on to uh, strongly, what we hold on to loosely. And uh, so what Isaiah saw was a very, very profound picture of Jesus. And if we ever come face to face with a picture of Christ and who he is and what he's done, that should stir up the exact same um, result in each one of us, that we become very available to the God and the King of glory. So with that in mind, I want to do the best I can to paint the same picture because we can have uh, almost the same encounter that Isaiah had. Now, Isaiah's was a, was a pretty uh, incredible moment where it was almost in a trance or, or there was this very physical manifestation of Jesus. And uh, I want to walk you through how that impacted him. And Isaiah, was a, he was a good man. He was a godly man. He was a prophet. He's uh, got his name on one of the biggest books in the Bible. And so he's kind of a hero of the faith. And I want you to see uh, when he met Jesus face to face, how that impacted and affected his life. If you're there in Isaiah 6, say, ready. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That, that, that's incredible, and this is, this is, this is what kind of blew past me. So I read over this so many times, and I just kind of took for granted that he uh, saw somebody that he didn't even know his name yet. He just knew it was the Lord, the King, right? Isaiah saw a man sitting on a throne. He knew him as Lord because he wouldn't be born for 700 more years. What is his name? Who did Isaiah see? 
a little bit louder than that. Who did Isaiah see? Isaiah saw Christ. Isaiah saw the Lord. 700 years before the Lord would show up in Bethlehem, before he would make his appearance as a baby in a manger, he still existed, and Isaiah saw a picture of the Lord. See, God is without form, has no body, but the Lord Jesus Christ does, and Isaiah saw the Lord. How did he see the Lord? He saw him sitting on a throne. Now, kings sit on thrones, right? And the picture that Isaiah saw was this king in a time, in a moment in history where there was a lot of chaos going on in Isaiah's world. It's always good to have a king that sits above the chaos. There was a lot of uh, problems in the nation of Israel. There were a lot of enemies. They were back and forth between their land and, and being exiled. And in all this frustration and all this chaos in a very chaotic world, um, it was a, a nice perspective to see a king that was sitting on a throne. And I get this image in my mind that I, the, the, the king, the Lord, he didn't look nervous, did he? Like He didn't look a little bit frustrated with the Assyrians thinking, oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I didn't see that one coming. Like he was a king, and he was sitting on a throne, and he was in control. How many of you feel like your life right now is in chaos? Not one person. This is really going to mess up my point here. <laughs> How many of you look around and you think, wow, this is a lot of water? <laughs> uh, man, there is a lot of chaos going on with the riots in our country and people after um, police and a lot of racial tension in our culture, isn't there? There's a lot of confusion about what the state of our country and what's going on around the world. There's a lot of, you look to the Middle East and you see a lot of war and you see a lot of fear and you see a lot of problems. And I would say that most of our world is filled with chaos. Maybe you look in your family. Maybe there's a lot of chaos in your job. Maybe there's chaos in your marriage. Maybe you feel like there's chaos with your children. Anybody? Anybody in chaos? Yeah. Isn't it nice to know? In the midst of chaos that you can raise your eyes up and Jesus, there he was sitting on the throne that he is king in the midst of chaos. It was ironic this morning as I was driving um, from Irving down here and I had to come over the Trinity River and it is swollen. It is, uh, there is water everywhere and it's a flood zone all the way you know, from here to Irving. And there was a scripture that kept ringing in my mind in the Psalms when it says that the same king that was seated on the throne in the time of peace, he was still seated on the throne during the flood. Nothing catches our king off guard. He sits on the throne and in the midst of chaos. And so in the world that Isaiah lived in, the chaotic world, all the things going on, all the problems, his attention was drawn above the chaos to this Lord, he said, who was, where was he sitting? On a throne. He wasn't standing up. He wasn't anxious. He wasn't nervous. He was in absolute, complete control, sitting on a throne. Where was he? Isaiah says he was high and lifted up. This is not what Isaiah said. I saw the Lord. There he was sitting right beside me, just like me. So he was high and he was lifted up. He was different. He was above. He was exalted. He was honored. He was out there. He was different than Isaiah. And there was distance between them. So this picture that Isaiah sees is of the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. What does it say next? And the train of his robe filled the temple. I was at a wedding last night. 
and uh, my son, I have a five-year-old son, and he was with me, and we were sitting in the back because you never know what's going to happen with a five-year-old in a wedding, so we always, you know, get close to a good exit, and so there we were, and the, the bride came in, and uh, I got Judah up, stood him on the pew so he could see the bride coming in, and when she got past us, he was like, wow, what is that? The back of her dress, like, it's just, there's too much material there. What is that? I said, I don't know, buddy. The girls do stuff like that. There's no practical purpose to that. It's like just for, for, for show. It's just for beauty. He's like, that's pretty. I said, yes, yes, it is. She had a big train, but it wasn't big enough to fill the temple, right? The temple is a big place, and Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and we need to kind of get a, a picture in our minds and our hearts of the magnitude and the weight of what Isaiah is witnessing. As far as we know, there's not a whole lot of people that had seen Jesus yet. Now, if you see Jesus and he's high and lifted up, he's sitting on a throne, you kind of feel the weight of his power as a king over all of the universe, then you, I'm, I'm guessing, I know if it were me, I would begin to feel very small. Right? So he sees this king high and lifted up, the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim. This is the only place in the Bible that seraphim are mentioned. And the word seraph means the fiery ones. How many of you would like to be known as the fiery one? The fiery ones, they were these creatures that were created to honor and glorify and magnify the glory of Christ. And so these fiery ones, the seraphim, they were all above him. And each one of them had six wings. And with two they covered their face. It says with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. With two, they, they were covering their face. Literally, these seraphim that were the fiery ones because they were fiery, right? They were around the King Jesus, and the, the glory of Christ was so radiant. Revelation says that when his glory is fully exposed, that it will um, completely black. There's no need for the sun because the glory of God will be our light. The glory of Christ was so bright that they had to hide their faces. Now listen, if you are called the fiery ones and you have to wear shades when you're around Christ, Christ has got some glory, amen? So these seraphim, there they are, they're flying around the throne and they're covering their face because they cannot uh, fully embrace and absorb the glory of God. It says they covered their feet with two of their wings. That's a sign of, of honor and respect and submission, in many cultures in the world, you walk into somebody's house, you remove your shoes, you get a long pants or a long dress that covers your feet because that's a sign of honor and respect. So these incredible beings, the fiery ones, had to cover their feet when they were around the Lord. And with two, they were flying. And do you know what that means? That they could fly. <laughs> and that's awesome. <laughs> and these seraphim, the fiery ones, who had six wings, uh, verse 3, and... Uh, one called to another and said, what they say? Y'all read it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That, that's the, basically the theme. That's what I want you to catch, uh, is that Jesus is incredibly full of glory. He's the most glorious, weighty uh, thing in all of creation. And he's above creation. Glory. Uh, when I use that word, I mean, it means weightiness. There's a weightiness to God that nobody else has. Because of who he is and because of what he's done, uh, he has a lot of glory, a lot of weight. And Isaiah came face to face with the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
And there was so much weight to who Christ is and what he's done that the Bible says right there that the seraphim were created to explain and, 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 and demonstrate and chant and, and cry out that the whole earth is full of the glory of God in Christ. And this is, this is the mission that God is on. This is why the earth exists. God created a planet and he filled it full of people and he filled it full of, uh, uh, of creatures and all sorts of living things, Genesis says, so that it might be a stage for the glory of God. Amen? He created something so that he might cover it with a blanket where the whole earth might know who he is in Christ, what he has done in Christ, and so his glory might fill the entire globe. The world exists as a platform and stage for the glory of God. God created humanity with a unique capacity to understand, appreciate, and reflect the glory of God. You exist as a human being so that you might be a vessel for the glory of God, so the people through you might know who God is in Christ and what he's done. Why, does our marriage, why do our marriages exist? To be vessels of the glory of God. Everything is about the glory of God. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Oh, by the way, this marriage that you're living out together as you submit to one another and love one another, this is a picture of the gospel of Christ and the whole world is going to understand the glory of God and who he is and what he's done through your marriage. Your job, you exist in your job to make much of Christ so that his glory may fill the earth through your job. The reason you have a family, your children exist so that you may point them to Christ so that their lives may be what? Empty vessels for the glory of God. Everything in existence was created so that God's glory might fall like a blanket over it until everybody may celebrate the weightiness of Jesus Christ. Now, that is the mission that God is on. The mission he's on is to completely saturate all of his creation with his glory because there is nothing more glorious than Christ. There is no one more weighty, has more weighty character, character or abilities than Jesus. So this is what they chant all day long. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And verse 4, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. Now, if you're Isaiah, how do you feel right now? Maybe a little nervous? Right, if you're still standing, now everything is shaking, and now you have been met face-to-face -face with a literal picture of Jesus, and you've seen these scary, magnificent creatures that exist just to declare the holiness and the glory of God, and now the place is shaking, okay? Now, I, tried, I called in a special favor and asked God if he might send us an earthquake right now so that we could have some real-life applications, so let me pause a minute and wait for it. Maybe back in a minute. And the whole place, the whole house was filled with smoke. And I said, okay, so verse 5, Isaiah, for the first time, he gets to speak and he has a response. And what would our response be if we had seen everything he had just saw in these short verses? And the whole place we're standing in is now shaking and there's smoke and there's these fiery creatures shouting out the holiness and the glory of the Lord. This is what he said. Woe is me. There's an exclamation point after that. Why? Because he was probably terrified. I'm sure he was like, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. Because if we look around the room, everybody look around the room, there, you know, we could, if we kind of compare ourselves to each other, we can always find somebody that we're doing better than. Amen? 
Point to that person. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> like we, well, I'm, I'm performing better than they are. I, my marriage is more put together than theirs is. I haven't stumbled and sinned as much as they have. I do better with my money than they do. I do better with my uh, computer than they do. And we can kind of look around and, and as long as we compare ourselves to each other, you know, th- there's room for good and bad, right? I thought I would get an amen out of that. <laughs> as long as there's somebody in the room worse than us, we can, be, we can feel better about ourselves. So um, kind of good and bad is very relative when we compare to each other. And a lot of times people that um, have never really heard about who Christ is and, and what he has done, you know, the question is, are you a Christian? Well, I, I, th- I think so. I think God um, would be fine with me because I'm better than this person or because I haven't done this. And we kind of use this comparative scale of good and bad. And that works really well until Jesus shows up. Amen? Amen. He, and, and Isaiah, on our, on our scale, in our terms, good guy or bad guy? Good guy. How many of us have, you know, 66 books in the Bible? <laughs> He's a good guy. In fact, I even think he was a righteous man, a good man. But when Jesus shows up, the best man among us starts to say, woe is me because I am undone. And he didn't just get that out of nowhere. He, he didn't just un- understand that his, his, his deep need and depravity because of looking around. When he was looking around and comparing to others, I think he was just fine. But he said, woe is me. Because I am lost or I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. And then he looked around and says, and listen, I, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And this is how he came to that conclusion. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. See, there, there, there is good and bad and there's some good men and women in my church. There's some good men and women in this room until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus brings a different standard into the picture then the resounding theme is what Romans says, that there is no one good, no, not one. None of us. See, in in second grade, I was incredible at softball. I'm talking MVP of my small country 1A school. (laughs) I grew up in in a town called Bushland. It was, when I was there, about 150 people west of Amarillo, and I was eight years old, and I was the MVP. Can y'all believe that? I was the MVP of my softball team. I mean, I was incredible. And then uh, I told my dad, so you need to take me to a Rangers game. And so he drove me. We took a weekend. He drove me the six hours to uh, the old stadium uh, in Arlington. And we went in. And all of a sudden, I wasn't the MVP anymore, <laughs> right? I was like, wow, gosh, they're better than I am. In fact, they don't even know who I am. And there I was with my glove, you know, walking into the Rangers stadium there to see my hero, Ruben Sierra. Anybody remember Ruben Sierra? Hit a home run and Nolan Ryan pitched. It was a good day. But, but as long as I was comparing myself to Wes and all my buddies in second grade, I, I, was, I was pretty good. And then when I showed up in the majors, I wasn't even on the map. <laughs> that's, that's how humanity is because as long as we kind of keep our eyes on each other, there's good and bad. But the economy that God uses is uh, measuring us up against Christ, perfection. And the best among us, like Isaiah, fall woefully short. And so... He sees this picture of the Lord seated on the throne high and lifted up, and, and he begins to, to realize that he is much further away from that than he ever imagined. And it drew him to a place of humility where he said, Whoa, woe is me. I am undone. He was completely undone. Like this picture, because we can't be convicted of our sin just from guilt. Guilt doesn't drive repentance, does it? The glory of Christ drives us to a need. And now there he is in this, in this very 
difficult position before a very powerful king on a throne with seraphim, and all of a sudden he realizes his guilt and his neediness. And then, and then verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me. Oh, good. He's headed this way. I can't wait what he's going to, to see, what he's going to do when he gets here. Literally, imagine that you're Isaiah and you're watching this and you realize he is much higher than you ever thought and you are much more sinful than you ever thought and then here comes a fiery one. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Oh good, having in his hand a burning coal which he had taken not with his hands but with what? Tongs. The fiery one couldn't even pick up this coal that now he is headed my way with. How do you feel if you're Isaiah? You should be nervous, right? If you're unholy and unclean and this king sitting on a throne is holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory and one of his messengers grabs a coal off of the altar and starts heading your way, I would be terrified. I'm sure Isaiah was. He had no idea what the intention was because there was a problem between him and God. His sin separated him, and, and, and he was an enemy of this king of righteousness that had much more power, much more weight than Isaiah ever would. And here comes a seraphim. Burning, uh, verse 6, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. My guess is that probably caught him a little off guard because the grace of God has a tendency to do that, doesn't it? See, this is one of the greatest, it's not even a picture of the gospel, it's a foreshadowing of the gospel. That Yes, in, in, in the glory and the holiness of Christ, we realize we have completely nothing to offer him. And so God doesn't tell the seraphim, hey, go, go holler Isaiah, tell him to build a ladder, tell him to get his stuff out and get up here, we need to talk. What does he do? He just goes down to where he's at, meets him there, and fixes the problem. Now, if you're Isaiah, you know that this temple, and you know especially this altar, is a very unique place that's built for something. That that altar is built for lambs to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Now, what an incredible picture this is that God, Jesus Christ, is going to take something off of that altar, and he's going to take down and, and move it to this sinful man, Isaiah, touch his lips and completely, what he says, take away your guilt. And atone for your sin. See, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming out of the wilderness, when he was baptizing in the Jordan River, John said, behold, what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is such an incredible picture of the gospel, isn't it? And this has to happen in each one of our lives. We have to come to such a, a real picture of who the man Jesus Christ is in his glory and his holiness. And that always pushes us to a place of, 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 of humility that we don't bring anything to the table. We don't climb up to Jesus. He comes down to us. We don't earn forgiveness. He just gives it graciously. So their, their picture, Isaiah's picture of the glory of God in Christ, put him in a very, very needy place, and then God, through Christ, atoned for his sins, covered him completely, did away with him. Okay, now, remember, you're Isaiah. How do you feel? In a, in a few moments, I mean, this has been kind of an emotional roller coaster for him, right? He was good at the beginning of the day, and then all of a sudden he was bad, and now he's forgiven. And he's standing before, maybe kneeling, maybe laying, who knows what he's doing at this point, before this very vivid picture 
of Christ. And I'm sure that this weight of grace and this um, complete submission now to this man who had just taken care of his problem um, was weighing him uh, down. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, this is the first time in this um, scene that we have where Christ speaks. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? Who... Who is, why is he trying to send and what does he want them to do? The mission that, that, that God has always been about, right? Filling the entire earth with the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's his mission. That's his goal. That's been his goal from Genesis. It's going to be finished someday in Revelation when it says, every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue will know very explicitly about the glory of God in Christ because of who he is and what he's done. And he's looking for people to get involved in that mission. And so God, knowing that he's going to, to fill the earth with his glory, he says, listen, who will I send and who will go for us? Because how does he, what does he use? Who does he use to get his glory out to the world? People. And so he says, who shall I send and who will go for us? And who was right there to, to, to volunteer, to raise their hand? This man who the grace of God had just changed. And what does he say? I think it's more important. What does he not say? How far is it? <laughs> How long do I have to stay there when I get there? Can I afford it? How much is it going to cost? Are my friends going to come with me? Are they going to stay? He doesn't have any list of, of addendums, does he? Because if, 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 if the glory of God raises up to its rightful place, then the only response we have is, I don't care where it is, who's coming with me, who's not. I am yours. I exist for your glory. Here am I. What? Send me. And if you read later on in the story, uh, Isaiah does not get the best job. He said, okay, go to these people. Oh, by the way, they're not going to listen to you ever. How, how would you like that going into your first day as a pastor? Hey, here's a good calling. By the way, it's going to be a long 30 years. That's what he got, but he was willing to go. He says, here am I. Send me. There has been a lot of progress since that time with messengers carrying the mission of God um, to a lot of different places. It's reached us. And there is a lot more work to be done. Because Revelation says he, Jesus is not going to be done until the, the, the name and the mission and of who God is in Christ and what he has done in Christ gets to every people group. The, the mission will not be done until that is accomplished. And we have made so much progress, but listen, there's almost five, roughly 5,000 people groups on this planet left today that don't know who God is and what he's done. They have a general sense of the glory of God through creation, but they don't know very specifically what Isaiah saw in Christ. And who is going to take the mission to them? Who is going to take the message to them? There's unreached people in Midlothian. There are unreached people in Irving that have no idea who Christ is and what he's done. And who's going to be available to go. Only people who have been impacted by the glory of God. This is why I say that, because I think uh, if something has a lot of glory or a lot of weightiness, we become very available to that. Like if I have a lunch planned and um, Nolan Ryan shows up and he just happens to be free, do you think I will cancel my lunch plans and shift them over to him? Yeah, because well, he's a little, he's weighty. I'm like, well, sorry, we can reschedule, right? You, you know, who's your favorite person that you would love to have lunch with if, if they showed up in this room today? I'm going to count to three. Everybody say their person out loud. Are you ready? You cannot say Jesus. 
<laughs> Josh, I know you. One, two, three. Okay, well, good. All you want is Jesus. <laughs> That's good. Okay, whoever you didn't just say, whoever that person might be, if they show up and you perceive them to have a lot of weight, let's say the President of the United States shows up and you perceive him to have a lot of weight, or the former president, whichever one you want to show up and have lunch with, doesn't matter to me. They show up. You, you become pretty available, don't you? Do you have plans? No. What do you want to do? I don't care. Let's go. You become available where you perceive someone to have a lot of weight, and when Jesus, you, you see that he has more weight, all of a sudden money doesn't have the authority to dictate your life anymore, Right? If you perceive money to have all the glory and all the weight in your life, then it's going to dictate your schedule. But if Jesus has the most weight and the most glory of anything in all of creation, we become very available. To go what? Where does he say? He didn't ask. He just said, here am I. Send me where? It doesn't matter. The the most, um, at least for me and probably for you, the most powerful sermons that I've ever heard are not the sermons that tell us what to do and where to go. They're the sermons that tell us who God is in Christ. And then all we have to do is say, well, here am I, send me. Because I don't, I don't have to tell you where to go. I don't have to tell you what to do. I don't have to tell you what to say. I couldn't do any of that. I can tell you who God is in the face of Christ, and he can tell you what to go, where to go. He can tell you what to do. He can tell you how much to give. He can tell you who to adopt. He can tell you what job to have. He can tell you where to speak. So as the people of God become very acquainted and familiar with the weightiness of God in Christ, we should become very available until the Great Commission is finished. Because his Great Commission is literally through the gospel of Christ to extend the glory of God to the globe, and then the end will come. And I pray out of this church, out of this service, the next service, that God will move people and push them to difficult places on this map, this globe where God's glory has not been revealed to them in Christ. I pray some of you in this, this room end up in northern India, you end up in Pakistan, you end up in Nepal, you end up in, in Baltimore, you end up in some inner city places, and you begin to just speak of the glory of God. Because that's who goes, the people that have been so impacted by the glory of God that were available. Some of you are going to become available to take the the mission and the gospel to your neighbors. And listen, guilt will never, never drive you to obedience. The glory of God drives us to obedience. Some of you are struggling with, can I, can I build up enough courage to share with this person in my across my cubicle, in my job, in my family, in my house? Maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your children. The glory of God is so weighty that it outweighs everything else to where God's servants become incredibly obedient. And let me have a little caveat just for a second because I'm a father. We've got three children. And um, this started to kind of echo in my mind thinking, well, some people are going to, you know, God's going to put in their heart, in their mind, a very specific location, a very specific people group, a very specific person in your life that... um, if you were to say, here am I, send me, God's going to send you to them. And, and by the grace of God, I pray we would all be willing to go wherever that is. Because what God wants us to do, I think, is to put our yes on the table. That's what Isaiah did, didn't it? Put our yes on the table and let God put it on the map. And some of you, you put your yes on the table, and that's going to be in a different country. That's going to be a different city. That's going to be in the same city, in the same house. You're going to have to go across the hallway and talk to your children or your parents. 
But as a parent, I realize, and some of you have children that maybe they're right in the middle of this, like they're being stirred up with the glory of God and they're ready to go and God is about to send your child to a very difficult place. And we know that in order for this great commission to be fulfilled in our lifetime, that there are going to be some martyrs, don't we? And as a parent, we think, look, I don't want you to go. Yes, you can go to this place, but not to that place. What if God calls your children to a very difficult, godless, hostile place? I I feel the tension of that as, as a father, but at the same time, the glory of God, if it is the most weighty thing in all of creation, then it outweighs any danger you or your children may face. There is no sacrifice big enough or paycheck small enough to outweigh the glory of God. So this is what I say. If it's your children, if it's you, go. Wherever God calls you, go. If it's your children, let them go. Let them go. I don't, I don't ever want to be stuck standing in front of, of the throne of God where he's saying, hey, I called your son or your daughter to go to Pakistan and spend their life sharing the gospel there. But you thought that the glory of money and success and safety was weightier than the glory of the gospel of Christ. I don't want to be in that position. Literally, if Jesus is sitting on a throne and it's all his and it's all built for his glory, all of us and our children and your grandchildren, we, we hold our lives very loosely because the king gets to tell us what to do. Amen? So this, this picture that I, I want to really um, make very vivid in our minds, I want to read basically what I think is almost a New Testament commentary of this instance. It's Paul. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, the same God that was there in Genesis that created everything, and with just the word of his mouth, he said, Let there be light, and there was light. That same God has shone in our hearts. So it's kind of this, this, this parallel play on Genesis. The same God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, and the earth was all dark and void, and nothing was there. You couldn't see. Nobody knew anything. And then God spoke light. Uh, in your heart, when our hearts were darkened from the gospel, we didn't know who God was or who Christ was or who we were. And in his providence, in his love, he let light shine in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do y'all see how that lays over with Isaiah? What did Isaiah see? He only knew him as the Lord, but he saw Christ, the face of Christ. And in the face of Christ, he saw the glory of God because God had illuminated it. So we don't have to have a revelation and the clouds don't have to tear open and we don't have to see this exact picture that Isaiah saw. In the New Testament, there is enough about who Jesus is because the same God can get inside of your heart, can shed light, make us understand who Christ is so that in the face of Christ we behold the glory of God. So we don't have to necessarily pray for a dream or pray for a vision. We opened up the text and we look and we see who God is and what he's done in the face of Christ and that's the glory of God that stirs us up to do the same thing Isaiah did. So how weighty is Jesus? If you take all the different things about who Jesus is and what he's done and you begin to reflect on them, and you put them together, then this image we have of Christ just begins to rise higher and higher and higher until we find ourselves in the place Isaiah did. I mean, if you you think for just a moment about the love that God has in the face of Christ, that in the midst of us being his enemies, Christ died for us. 
the love of God is weighty, is it not? What about the patience of God? Has God been patient with you? Psalm says that his patience is our salvation. The only way we've made it to the point where we can respond to the gospel is because he's been patient with us. In Jesus, you see the patience he has with people in the New Testament, the patience he has with us. The patience of Christ is very weighty. What about the power that Jesus has? What about you read stories where he fed thousands of people with a little kid that had brought his Lunchable to work that day, right? What incredible power. If you can speak to the winds and the waves and they obey you. If you can command demons to leave and to be quiet and they obey. Jesus' power and control is very weighty. What about the, the, the grace that Christ has for you? To give you something, to die in your place for your sins, to give you something that you do not deserve. The grace of Christ is very weighty. The mercy of God in Christ, not giving us what we do deserve. How many of y'all feel like God's mercy through Christ on you is very weighty? Amen. You begin to pull all these things together. What about the knowledge of Jesus? What about knowing the future and knowing everything that's going to happen and how all of this is going to play out? Knowing everything about your life and your future? The knowledge that Jesus has to exist outside of time? Isn't the knowledge of Jesus very weighty? You start to pull all these things together and this image of Jesus begins to raise higher and higher. Um, the faithfulness. This was the song that we sang just a few moments ago. What about the faithfulness of God through Christ to those who love him for thousands of generations? Gosh, the faithfulness of God. First Timothy says that um, we're not even faithful, but it doesn't matter because he is faithful and he cannot deny himself. The faithfulness of God in Christ is very weighty. Almost all of these things converge on the cross. So that the more we become acquainted with what, what the cross means in God's love and, and forgiveness and Him enduring the wrath of God for our sins and what we deserved, then the picture of who Jesus is in our lives should grow so high where He is so exalted and He is so different and He is so holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. He has beings created that exist for one thing, to fly around and declare his holiness. And he has a job to extend his glory in the gospel till it's saturated, till like a blanket, the glory of God in Christ has covered the earth. And we're in the middle of this story, and God's looking for people to send across the street and across the world. And those that are going to be obedient and go are going to be those who have been affected and impacted by the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I want to pray just that the Holy Spirit would stir this message up in me and up in you. Father, we, God, every day desperately I need a, a, a revived, a renewed picture of who you are. God, so how easy is it for each one of us to kind of minimize who you are and try and climb back up on that throne and try and make the calls and the shots, call the shots for our lives, God. I pray that you'd remind us that that throne is yours and that you are in control, God. If there's somebody in this room that's struggling with the chaos of their lives, God, I pray that you would call their attention and raise their eyes up above the chaos to the king who sits enthroned above the earth. God, may that um, bring in a great sense of peace for us who belong to you. God, I pray that you'd push us constantly to a place of humility and where we realize that we don't bring anything to the table other than our sin. 
Kind of when we bring our sin and through faith in Christ, you simply just do away with it and you atone for our sin and you forgive us and you push our sin away and you cast it as far as the east is from the west. So, Father, my prayer this morning is that if anyone in this room, God, has never really fully seen the holiness of Christ and felt their need for his grace and salvation, God, that you would put them in the place Isaiah was. God, help them to acknowledge their need for you and put their faith in Christ so that you might forgive their sins once and for all. And God, I pray for all of us, God, that have believed on you for eternal life, God, that you would help us to be obedient. God, we want to be sent. We want you to send us wherever it is. God, give us the courage and the, um, God, the faith, put it in our hearts so that we can be obedient. God, we want to be your people. We want to say, here am I, send me. God, I love you. I thank you for the greatest story ever told, the gospel of the grace of God in the face of Christ. May it stir up in us as we respond. God, I pray that your spirit would stir us up and help us to respond in the right manner. In the name of Christ, all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.